I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Traumatic injuries and surgical procedures can damage peripheral nerves and cause the loss of muscle or organ function, pain, and the loss of sensation. Axigen has a portfolio of regenerative medicine products to enable surgeons to repair peripheral nerves without the need to harvest nerves from a patient's own body. We spoke to Karen Zattere, CEO of Axigen, about peripheral nerve injuries the company's portfolio of products, and how it's changing the way surgeons can repair damaged nerves. Karen, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. We're going to talk about peripheral nerve injuries, oxygen, and the company's portfolio of products to repair damaged nerves. Let's start with peripheral nerve injuries themselves, though. This can happen in several ways. Break down the causes of peripheral nerve damage, and how big a market does this represent? Yeah, nerves are actually damaged in lots of ways. Um, the, the way I think people think about it the most are traumatic injuries. So uh, these are all the ways that you can have soft tissue damage. Um, it can be uh, cutting uh, yourself with a kitchen knife as you're preparing dinner. Um, it can be power tool injuries, um, but even major traumas like workplace injuries are all ways that sometimes people have traumatic injuries to their soft tissue, including the, the peripheral nerves. Uh, but they're also injured surgically. Um, they're, they're part of many surgical procedures where they need to transect a nerve in order to get to what the target is or to remove tissue. So think of um, anytime you have a tumor, you have cancer, and there's a tumor that needs to be removed, uh, removing that tumor, usually they want to get a clean margin. They take some tissue around that tumor. And many of the complications of this surgical oncology are actually nerve injuries, where a nerve was adjacent to or entrapped in that tumor. Uh, so all of those are different ways that nerves can be damaged. And, uh, and so we try and help surgeons really deal with three types of things. If you think just how nerves work, uh, when a nerve is cut, how do you put that nerve back together so it restores functional recovery and signaling? Um, when a nerve is compressed, so there's pressure on a nerve, um, that's another way that nerves uh, can have their signaling altered and it can result in pain or muscle weakness. So think of uh, a great example of that's actually carpal tunnel syndrome. Uh, most people are familiar with that, with the weakness that you get in your pinch of your fingers and your thumb. Uh, but that concept is true anywhere in the body. And then lastly, we help surgeons when they need to end a nerve. So if you think of uh, nerves as like a wire, uh, it's kind of like leaving a live wire in the body. That's not generally a good idea. Um, so we have a way that surgeons can safely end that nerve so it doesn't send aberrant signals back to the brain. Uh, how are nerve injuries generally treated today and how effective are the treatments? 
Well, traditionally, nerve injuries have been repaired with a variety of surgical techniques. And so in the case where a nerve was transected and cut, if there was any loss of segment of the nerve, so again, the tumor or a trauma where some of the nerve is damaged, the surgeon has to do something to bridge that gap. And the most common thing that they did was take a nerve from somewhere else in the body that the patient and the surgeon agreed was less important and move it to fix the, the target where they think something more important needs to be restored. So you always gave something up to fix something that was more important. And, uh, and that's had been historically considered the gold standard. Um, in the case of compression, they would also, again, move, but in this case, fat to try and pad and protect the nerve and cushion it from the surrounding tissue. So, so what we've done is come in and look at the techniques and the variety of ways that surgeons have tried to manage these problematic issues with nerves and help them create, uh, and working with them, create a suite of products that helps them solve all of those conditions without creating a deficit somewhere else in the patient's body. What are the consequences of these types of injuries and how effective have existing treatments been? Well, the consequences of nerve injuries uh, are highly variable. I, I like to use the analogy again of wires in the body. So nerves carry the signals to allow all of your muscles to move, to have uh, autonomic functions like breathing. Uh, to give you sensation and feedback about the environment, temperature, vibration, all of those are signals carried back into the central nervous system carried by peripheral nerves. And so anytime a nerve is damaged or weakened, uh, you lose some sort of function. So it can be uh, as extensive as paralysis in an arm that doesn't work at all. Um, it can be loss of sensation in, uh, in a fingertip. So as you try to touch your phone, you can't tell what you're touching on your phone. That can be problematic. Um, or it can be things like uh, we work with women who have breast reconstruction following a mastectomy. And traditionally, they didn't connect the nerve. So while a woman would look normal, uh, she wouldn't feel normal. She had no sensation in the reconstructed breast. And uh, and what we're really trying to do is to help patients return to that quality of life such that they feel normal again following that surgery. Oxygen has a portfolio of products designed to allow surgeons to repair and regenerate nerves. It's easy to think of this as just splicing a piece of electrical wire, but we're dealing with living tissue and it's not only carrying current, but needed blood supply and it needs the opportunity to heal as well. Before we talk about your specific products, walk me through the process. How does a nerve repair procedure work? Yeah, great question, because I use the analogy of wires, but of course, it's a lot more complicated than that, because there's a lot of biology involved in this. Um, nerves, again, carry the signals through ionic transfer throughout the nerve fiber that runs from a cell that's close to the spine all the way out to whatever the distal target is. So if it's a muscle plugging into motor end plates to tell that muscle to move, if it's sensation giving you contact at whatever that, that contact point is. And so when a nerve is cut, um, different than a lot of other types of tissue, it actually grows. If you have a cut, let's say in your mid forearm, you would repair the transection there in your mid forearm, but that nerve fiber will grow through the repair site and then into the, 
it's a native nerve that was on the other side of the injury and all the way to the ends of the fingertips in order to get uh, sensation back at that point. And so nerves, uh, because they have such a long distance to grow and that healing do heal very slowly. Uh, surgeons would think about an inch a month is a, 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 a guidance that they would use. So if you have this cut in the middle of the forearm, it may take as much as a year before you have sensation at the end of your fingertip. And that would be considered a normal way of getting sensation back. So it's, it's a good way to get recovery. You can get good, meaningful recovery. It won't happen overnight. It's not, it's not as fast as any of us would like, but you can get good, meaningful recovery. So meaningful recovery would be return to sensation. Again, if it was a sensory nerve so that you, uh, if you touched a hot surface, you would obviously recognize it's a hot surface. You'd pull your hand back and not get burned. That you can discriminate um, different shapes and sizes of uh, like coins in your pocket. Um, and that you can touch your phone and know what you're touching on your phone. Those are types of meaningful recovery that we can get back for patients. And there's methods that we use to measure that and come up with numeric responses. In motor function, we're obviously looking to get back to uh, range of motion and also strength so that you can um, you know, lift a bag of groceries, you can pick up a child. Um, those are things that are really important in our day-to-day -day lives and, and we want patients to be able to get back to that type of meaningful recovery. And generally you can do that when uh, a repair happens relatively quickly. Um, now, unfortunately some of these end up getting delayed for a variety of reasons and the longer you wait, the less likely you are to get full recovery. But when they're repaired in an emergent way, you can get um, pretty solid, meaningful recovery. We've shown about 82 to 84 percent of these injuries get meaningful recovery. What is the advanced nerve graft and how is it used? Well, advanced nerve graft is our flagship product. Uh, and it's really used when that surgeon runs into the situation where a nerve is transected and they need to do something to bridge the gap. Instead of taking um, a patient's own nerve from somewhere else in the body, they can instead use this off-the-shelf uh, bridge. And it's actually made of human tissue. Uh, so it's human proteins that are uh, decellularized, so there's not any kind of immune issue uh, in terms of immunosuppression required. Uh, but essentially, we create a three-dimensional blueprint that when it's implanted in the body, the body recognizes what these, uh, what this array of proteins are supposed to be. Uh, it revascularizes, it gives guidance to the regenerating nerve fibers. Remember I said, if it's cut, it's gotta go through that bridge and into the, uh, into the healthy nerve on the other side. Uh, so it gives guidance to those nerve fibers and support to those nerve fibers, essentially giving them roads and lights or runway <laughs> runway lights that say, follow this path uh, all the way through the bridging material and into the, uh, into the healthy native nerve on the other side. This is a, a biologically active, off-the-shelf processed human nerve. Where do you source these from and, and what do you need to do to prepare them for transplantation? Yeah, it's, uh, so the sourcing is like organ donation is through the tissue and organ donation process. Uh, and many people in many states can check a box as they get, uh, the driver's license that says that they're willing to be an organ and tissue donor. Uh, this provides the opportunity, should something tragic happen, that, that you can help many other people, uh, through the gift of donation. And so, 
Uh, one of the things that you can donate, obviously, people are more familiar with hearts or lungs, but one of the things you can donate are nerves. Now, for us, um, that donation means that there's still quite a bit of activity that we need to do to prepare those nerves to be implanted. And so, as I said, um, they need to be decellularized, so remove the cells. Um, nerve cells actually cause quite a bit of an immune response, so you can't have cell or cell remnants in, uh, in this protein array. And we need to do it in such a way that it preserves the very tiny microarchitecture of the nerve. Uh, this is actually why this hasn't been done before, is nerves are very small structures, and taking the cells out of these very small structures historically has fractured the inside of the nerve. And it's important to have both biochemical guidance cues to the nerve fibers as they regenerate and these physical tunnels or little roads that they can follow uh, to provide the best possible outcomes. And so there was some work actually originally done in spinal cord research, trying to do the same thing in spinal cord, uh, that identified a method of extracting these cells without damaging the structure. And that was the genesis of the idea that ultimately created the advanced nerve graft. How are these nerves stored and, and how long a shelf life do they have? So the nerves are stored uh, frozen. Uh, that way they have quite a nice shelf life. We have a three-year shelf life on them. So a hospital uh, or a surgery center will be able to have inventory uh, in-house. That's uh, obviously very important when you're talking about trauma because uh, they don't know what will what tomorrow's surgery will be because it's the injuries that happen today. So they need to always have some supply of nerves on hand, and they're able to do that and, and keep a nice supply uh, for those unexpected or unscheduled emergent cases. Last May, you reported top-line results from a phase three clinical trial. What did those results show? Well, we were very pleased to see that we met the primary endpoint. That's always uh, an important part of any uh, pivotal study that you do. We're in the process of transitioning advanced nerve graft uh, from a regulatory um, process of being a, th a 361 tissue to being a biologic. And in, as a part of that transition, we have done obviously a tremendous amount of um, research and documentation of both the composition of the graft uh, and confirmed uh, the outcomes of the results and, and efficacy of the product by a pivotal study. And that was the recon study that we had the top line data readout in May. And so while we showed we met the primary endpoint, that's the obviously the most important part. Uh, we also showed some interesting findings that we think will be impactful to surgeons. Uh, we showed that um, the, the primary endpoint was designed as a non-inferiority study. Uh, however, we showed superiority to conduits as the lengths get longer. Um, so above 12 millimeters in a gap. So that's the space between uh, the two nerve ends in a transected nerve. Uh, we show superiority in outcomes uh, of, in those longer gaps. Uh, we also showed, uh, interestingly, that Avance showed faster recovery to meaningful recovery levels uh, than a hollow tube conduit by as much as two and three months, depending again on the gap length. Um, so that was a very interesting finding, not one that we had been able to see in other studies and uh, and one we think is meaningful to patients. Again, these are very long time frames that we're talking about, but when you're speeding things up uh, by more than a month, it, it starts to be a nice, meaningful outcome for, for patients. You mentioned you're working on a change in classification. What's the significance of that from a regulatory point of view? 
Well, there's a huge uh, step up in um, just the entire set of regulations for uh, a biologic. A biologic are essentially the drug regulations, um, some very stringent requirements in terms of manufacturing, quality systems, the overall development that you would do for a product. Um, we were interested in moving in this way uh, in some ways because there are also limitations to being a tissue. One of the limitations of being regulated as a human tissue is that you cannot combine a human, a product regulated as human tissue with a device, a therapeutic or a biologic. And there are synergies of things that we could add into this wonderful scaffold that we have that we think could uh, enhance regeneration down the road. And yet in its regulatory classification as a tissue, that research is not possible. And so we uh, actually, uh, a number of years ago, approached the FDA and talked about this dilemma. Um, they proposed that we be a biologic. We, at that time, were a little surprised. We couldn't think of another uh, human tissue surgical implant that was a biologic. And uh, and neither could the FDA, but we agreed there needed to be somebody who would be first. And so that is the path that we've been on actually since 2010. Um, so we are actually transitioning this to be a, a biologic. We've gone through a, obviously a tremendous amount of research over the years to, to finalize this work. We'll be submitting the final application uh, by the end of this year. Once we're a biologic, we can do uh, additional things in terms of uh, research work or additional products. Uh, it also provides a benefit from uh, copycat products. Um, so as we continue to build this market and help raise awareness about the needs in nerve repair, um, obviously we invest a lot in research. We invest a lot in raising awareness with both patients and physicians. And, uh, and one thing that biologics offer the opportunity for that first uh, reference product in a category is because they do spend more to raise awareness in a category, they're also given uh, exclusivity for a period of time from uh, biosimilars, which are the generics of biologics. And so once we're approved, we would expect to be the reference product, and that would provide an additional 12 years of exclusivity. You offer several other products. This includes a nerve connector, a nerve protector, and a nerve cap. These are porcine products. How do you harvest those and prepare them, and what are the various functions of these elements? Yeah, no, great, uh, great question. We really think that there's a set of problems that surgeons have, and we wanted to have a round uh, offering of and a full algorithm of, of solutions that surgeons could choose, depending on the situation that they have in front of them. And so while uh, Avance is really an ideal product for those transected nerves where there's a gap, as I mentioned, there are other problems that surgeons are trying to solve. So when a nerve is a sharp transaction, so again, that kitchen knife injury, um, that is a time where the surgeon doesn't have any loss of segment of the nerve. He can bring the two nerve ends together without tension, which is a, a requirement in nerve repair to get good uh, revascularization. But he still needs to do something to reinforce that cooptation, make sure that the nerves don't pull apart as the, as the patient moves following the surgical repair, and to help in many ways uh, seal up that that co-optation. And Axogard Nerve Connector is the product that uh, we think provides a solution for surgeons in that area. Uh, I mentioned also protection, where surgeons want to protect the nerve from compression of surrounding structures, um, whether it's an anatomical compression or, um, or inflammation and, and scar tissue building up in the surrounding tissue. 
Either way, you want to stop that compression on a nerve. And the Axigard nerve protector wraps around the nerve and keeps the surrounding tissue up and off of the nerve. And then Axigard nerve cap is uh, the way that you end or terminate a nerve such that it doesn't send aberrant signals back to the brain like you would see in phantom limb pain. Uh, all of those are made of the same material. So they're made of a porcine material. It's actually a layer of the intestine walls of, uh, of pigs, which is th this uh, submucosal layer has a, some very interesting properties of creating an extracellular matrix that will allow revascularization and cells to repopulate onto this matrix. And so it basically remodels into the tissue, into the patient's own tissue and creates again, uh, again, it's almost like that three dimensional blueprint, uh, that gives the patient the chance to have that remodeling occur and, uh, and have the, the benefit of connection protection or termination of the nerve. While there appears to be sizable market opportunities, how scalable is manufacturing for these products and how challenging is it to produce a standardized product with consistent quality and predictable behavior? Yeah, really good question. Um, it, it's really important that we do that. We want to make sure that every patient gets the same impact of nerve repair um, regardless of the source, which means that we have to do uh, significant both screening of donor tissue um, and consistency in our manufacturing and care about the, the consistency of the environment that we manufacture in. So we don't want to induce bio burden, for example, into the product. And so, so we have um, all of the processing. Well, let's start with the selection. Um, donors meet a certain criteria for selection. They're screened for diseases and, uh, and other conditions that we feel would either make it uh, not appropriate to transplant the tissue uh, or not appropriate in terms of performance of the nerve. We know certain uh, conditions can suboptimize the structure of the nerves themselves, and therefore a, pay a donor that had those conditions wouldn't make a good donor for nerve tissue. They might be able to donate other things, but wouldn't be a good donor for nerve tissue. And so we go through that screening. We go through extensive testing to make sure that um, we have uh, each uh, donor nerve, each uh, donor who provides nerve, uh, provides nerve that has the right structure and the right guidance cues. Again, those proteins that give directionality um, to make sure that we, again, are consistent within parameters for every lot that we produce. Uh, and then finally, the environment is very important in these. And so we do everything in clean rooms. Our, uh, our uh, associates who do all the processing are dressed um, you know, in protective gear that uh, makes sure that we don't come in contact or provide any contamination to the nerves so that we provide a good, clean, a good product that can be implanted. And then just to be uh, ultra conservative, we make sure we also still terminally sterilize these to make sure that there's not a, a concern. And so, so we go through all of these steps. Um, that's a big part of, again, the biologic submission is to make sure that we have a good consistent manufacturing process to be able to, uh, to provide uh, a, a consistent product. Uh, you ask about the scaling. So one thing that is different on nerves than on, for example, if it's organ donation, like a heart, uh, is that any individual donor actually has a lot of nerve that they can uh, provide in that donation. So there's an opportunity to impact many people. So we're not donation constrained. Um, we only use donors who are donate in, here in the United States. Um, we go through again a rigorous screening process here. There's a there's a fairly 
well set up uh, organ and tissue donation system, which provides that rigor in terms of the safety and screening of donors. And so we're able to continue to extend that gifted donation to many people um, by by using the sources that we have. Oxygen is a public company. It's got a market cap of about four hundred million. It's trading around nine dollars, far below the highs it hit in twenty eighteen when it was more than fifty. What's the conversation like with investors these days? Well, for people that know us, um, we're always telling them what's new in the expansion areas and data that we have. We uh, do strongly believe in research to provide awareness and help change surgeon practices. There's over 220 uh, peer-reviewed clinical publications using the Axigen uh, portfolio of products today. Um, and we continue to work with surgeons and investigators to continue to develop more and more data as we think about both new applications, but providing additional data in the applications we're in. And so right now, what we're spending a lot of time talking about is a, a couple of papers that have recently published looking at both the meaningful recovery rate of advanced nerve graft uh, and the economics. And so uh, the, the recent meta-analysis that was published uh, actually at the very end of last year showed that if you compare advanced nerve graft to autograft and look at it in short gaps or long gaps, so short gaps would be 30 millimeters and less, long gaps up to 70 millimeters, so that's quite a, quite a distance of an injury. Um, and if you look at uh, both sensory nerves or motor function, in all of those different buckets or different types of injuries, uh, we show the same results as you get from an autograft. Uh, of course, without the downside morbidity of taking a nerve from somewhere else in your in your body. Um, the other thing that we were able to show is looking at both Medicare claims data and uh, an all-payer database is that there are trade-offs in costs here that show that they're equivalent in costs. So it is not more expensive to take an off-the-shelf product. It's the same cost. And the cost really comes from an autograph to adds 30 to 90 minutes of OR time. Uh, obviously adds some supplies as you're trying to uh, close up that second surgical site. Uh, and we trade all of that off by having one off-the-shelf product. And at, at the end of the day, uh, this is about the same cost, but it also provides faster OR turnaround time. And it, that's important today as hospitals are a little constrained on their OR time with staffing. So they're able to turn their ORs faster, not spend more money, uh, and uh, and provide the same outcomes that they would with an autograph. Karen Zatteray, Chairman, President, and CEO of Axgen. Karen, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, thank you, Danny. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.